I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Tonight we celebrate Trinity Sunday, which stands as something of a hinge between the celebrations of Eastertide and Pentecost, and our movement into what is called Ordinary Time. As I've noted in past years, Trinity Sunday is really the only day in the whole of the liturgical calendar that's set aside to mark not an event in the life and ministry of Christ and his church, but rather a doctrine. And it's a doctrine that, while rooted in the scriptural tradition, actually only emerges gradually over the first 300 years or so of the church's life. Yes, there are a few New Testament verses that use this language of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For instance, the end of Matthew, where the disciples are told to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's also the closing blessing, the end of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, which you'll quickly recognize as the standard liturgical greeting we use here throughout most of the church year. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Then there's those verses in the Gospel according to John in which Jesus speaks of his relationship to the Father and of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Yet even those teachings of Jesus aren't set out in a particularly systematic way. Much beyond those few verses, what the Bible contains might be thought as rumors of the Trinitarian character of God. That's why tonight we read the passage from the book of Proverbs, in which the writer reflects on holy wisdom personified personified using the female pronoun, no less. She raises her voice. She takes her stand. She cries out. And she was created by God at the first, before the very beginning of the earth. So very early in the church's life, Christians began to see those texts from the book of Proverbs as rumors of the Holy Spirit at work, and part of the divine life from the very beginning. It's in the historic creeds of the church that this doctrine is set out in a more systematic way. Tonight, after the sermon, we'll actually stand and recite the Nicene Creed, which comes from the 4th century. Yet, although carefully worded creedal statements provide an important anchor and a framework for belief, creeds don't tend to set imaginations on fire. Yet there's a long tradition of deeply imaginative and even playful theological reflection on the triune God, the three in one. So watch and listen. What better theologian to begin with than Robert Ferrer Capon? In his book, The Third Peacock, Capon writes, I give you the central truth 
that creation is the result of a Trinitarian bash, of a party, in other words. And so Capon continues, all of creation from start to finish occurs within this bash. The raucousness of the divine party is simultaneous with the being of everything, everything that ever was or will be. The world isn't God's surplus inventory of artifacts. It's a whole barrelful of the apples of his eye, constantly juggled, relished, and exchanged by the persons of the Trinity. No wonder we love circuses, games, and magic. They prove we're in the image of God. Constantly juggled, relished, and exchanged by the persons of the Trinity, Capon says, which brings us to one of the most playful, unconventional, and yet thoroughly orthodox of all Trinitarian icons. like to introduce you to John Selleck. Now that one action of juggling the three pins is such a great image of the three-in-one of the Holy Trinity. Without the three constantly in motion, the one is simply not there. Try to follow with your eye where any one begins or ends, and you can't do it. And yet there are three held together in perfect motion. This is what our theological forebears called perichoresis, or the mutual indwelling of the one in three and the three in one. In Greek, perichoresis means literally dance. Imagine a folk dance, a round dance, with three partners in each set, writes Eugene Peterson, and then he continues. On signal from the caller, they weave in and out, swinging first one and then the other. The tempo increases. The partners now move more swiftly with, between, and among one another, swinging and twirling, embracing and releasing, holding on and letting go. But there is not confusion. Every movement is cleanly coordinated in precise rhythms as each person maintains his or her own identity. The essence of the Trinity, the centerpiece of Christian theology, and sometimes considered the most subtle and abstruse of all doctrines, is captured here. And... God invites our participation, Peterson adds. God welcomes us into the Trinitarian dance, into the perichoresis. Or how about this one from C.S. Lewis? The most important difference between Christianity and all other religions 
is that in Christianity, God is not a static thing, not even a person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of a drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. Ah, Professor Lewis, that's hardly what in our time or in this place we would call irreverent. One more of these great playful quotes. This one from the 14th century German mystic and theologian Meister Eckhart. Do you want to know what goes on in the heart of the Trinity? I will tell you. In the heart of the Trinity, the Father laughs and gives birth to the Son. The Son laughs back at the Father and gives birth to the Spirit. The whole Trinity laughs and gives birth to us. Laughter, a dance, circuses, games, magic, and a juggler. Are these images all too thin to do justice to God? Yes, they are too thin, certainly too thin. And so we need to pay attention to the other voices as well. To John Donne, who wrote of wanting to have his heart battered and his soul ravished by the three-personed God. To the jazz musician John Coltrane, whose Trinitarian peace is all wildness and power. To the writer Annie Dillard, who cautions us ever so strongly against all attempts to tame or domesticate God. As she asks, does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? But then again, all human language will be limited when it comes to describing the divine. As Augustine said, If you think you understand, it isn't God. And so, knowing that all of our words, all of our images, all of our symbols, all of our songs are a kind of whistling in the dark, or a seeing as through a glass darkly, as St. Paul so poetically wrote, take delight this evening in the playfulness. After all, when God created the world, or should I say, when the great Trinitarian party got underway, again and again it was called good, 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 very good. And so it was, and so it is. Amen.